and I've been dealing with this way before TikTok. Just like it's been a mission of mine to just simplify recipe recipe writing in general, because. It's, a, it's like a tussle between you want the instructions to be as clear as possible, but also if you over-explain, suddenly your recipe is a page long, and that just, the sight of that is so intimidating. This is Taste. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. I'm always happy to hang out with Jenny Rosenstruck, a talented writer and editor behind a highly enjoyable newsletter and a series of cookbooks. For many followers of the home cooking internet, Dinner A Love Story has been a steady hand holding the whisk for the past decade. She has released the New York Times bestseller, The Weekday Vegetarians, and is working on a follow-up that we discuss on this episode. We also dig into her upcoming move back to New York City after living nearly two decades in the suburbs. What will city cooking be like for Jenny? Different. I hope you enjoy my talk with Jenny Rosenstrock. Jenny Rosenstrock, welcome back to the Taste Podcast. It's so nice to be here. I love seeing you. We did a Zoom version of this previously, and it was great. But man, I love this is fun. I know I, it's so much better. Everything is so much better now that we're back. Speaking of better, you're moving back to New York City. I am. This is. Uh, I mean, if all goes well with the contracts, right? The <laughs> but yeah, we will. No matter what, we will be back in the city. And um, yeah, we've been you know, in the suburbs for 20 years. Yeah. So, and, and I remember we left, we used to live in Brooklyn Heights. Yeah. And I remember closing the door on the Brooklyn Heights apartment and saying, I'm coming back here after the kids are grown up and gone. And we, we, I thought, always thought I would go back to Brooklyn Heights, but we're going to move back to the Upper West Side. I love the, the Upper <laughs> West Side energy. Manhattan is, you can't beat it. I mean, I haven't lived in Manhattan since I was 22, yeah. 23. So who knows? I'm sure it will be very different from back then, but uh, I'm very excited. Well, I want to I hear about your, what you're looking forward to moving back to the city because, you know, Dinner and Love Story and, and just your, your newsletter is, is really centered around your life and it's very personal. And we know that you live um, just outside New York City um, and your children are off at college and now... You're moving back to the city and and you haven't quite written about it on the on your on your newsletter yet. But, man, what in the hell? Where are you going to go for restaurants like you can be a regular now? (laughs) I know. um, That's what I'm most excited about. I have to say, Um, you know, when we travel to big cities, we always like the most exciting thing is always discovering, you know, what's going to be our regular this and that for the week. And um and, you know, we live out, we live literally 18 miles from where we're moving, right. but it's might as well be another planet. And like you to live somewhere versus, I mean, whether it's New York City or anywhere um, versus visiting a place is just so different. And I think what I'm looking forward to the most is just finding my new coffee shop, finding my new diner. Like, I mean, obviously, I'm so excited for the for the restaurants yeah. and the but you know to be honest we've we use the city a lot as um, you know even though we're we have to take a we have to commute in but we use it and 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 because of that I think we like we're always like oh we have to try this restaurant and we have to go down here and we're meeting these people and there's something like very eventish about it even if it's just meeting friends for dinner because we have to go back and and I'm just so looking forward to kind of that 
just discovering something yes. like uh, you know and just the walks not, walking yeah, around just like not not the place that everyone was talking about but just like oh there's this this like weird coffee shop that I've never heard of yeah. um, I'm gonna go downstairs and try a cold brew like just stuff like yeah. that I'm so I I am so excited it's for cool and and really I know you'll write about it too which is why I love subscribing to your newsletter because like you you write about these discoveries. Um, and, and let me, are there restaurants that you just really are lo- looking forward to checking out? Yeah. I mean, there are restaurants, I mean, there are always restaurants I'm looking forward for checking out, but, um, but I, I hope to be a regular at Cafe Luxembourg, which is, I'm kind of already, I feel like I'm a regular yeah. there just because that we really rediscovered that place during the pandemic because the outdoor seating was so amazing yeah. and the energy, I mean, I don't know if you went at all, but. It was the the energy was not compromised at all. It just felt like I think the older I get, the more I really appreciate that like old New York energy yep. and like the institution and and that's really it's just the bar there and yeah, I it's just, a great place and I I'd love to have uh, somebody from the restaurant on the show eventually. Yeah, uh, it's it's a real institution. Yeah. Now, what about uh, the cooking side? Because you're moving from a, a sizable kitchen. I mean, the mm-hmm. photos in your books show a pretty nice setup. Yeah. To a New York City apartment kitchen, how the hell are you going to negotiate this? That's a really good question. I'm hoping you could give me some advice (laughs) on that. Um, I mean, honestly, I'm very much looking forward to downsizing my whole life. I mean, I think it's going to be tricky in the kitchen. Um, But um, I don't don't know how much my cooking will change. You know, we... um, we have access to so many. I feel like my shopping will change, like yeah, because I can will. I can like go to Citarella and get seafood and yeah. go to Trader Joe's and still get my white balsamic vinegar, you know. But yep. but um, and I won't have to get in a car every time I have to do that, which um, you know I'm very much looking forward to the walking. Um, but for the most part, I think you know my cooking changed so much when my kids graduated from high school and left for college. You know, um, yeah, and. Just cooking for two is so different than cooking for kids and cooking for, you know, just for, you know, twice as many people. Yeah. And and you just always feel like, I, I mean, at least I always felt like I have to I have to really think about dinner versus now, which is, oh, I will just decide like right before and figure something and out. And that's like the fun, the inspiration, the, the, the spontaneous nature of cooking yeah. for two versus I, I mean, planning. it's totally different. And I feel like, but I do find that just being with, we have a lot of friends who are in this situation and- um, and what happens is like we go out during the week all the time now because of it, or we have people over during the week. And so now, which is like such a nice vibe for entertaining, you know, because yeah. it's just, there's like not as much pressure. I mean, yeah. not that there's really, I mean. But the big Saturday dinner party has a bit of a pressure. I think there's yeah. definitely like you put it on yourself mostly. It's not from the guests, but like Absolutely. I've had all day to prep and I have it. I don't have an excuse of like something during the day. Yeah. And I think you're like kind of at the dining room table or the outdoor patio table instead yeah. of like the kitchen table. And I think there's nothing mm-hmm. more that I love more than cooking for people in my kitchen. It just feels so much more. I feel like I don't have to clean the house or anything. It's, it's nice. just, they're just like my kids coming over. And mm-hmm. and I did when I was looking for um, an apartment, that was like a big thing. I wanted to be able to have an open kitchen so that we could kind of have that same vibe. Mm-hmm. And so. You talk about downsizing your life. Now, let me ask you, what's not making the trip uh, kitchen equipment wise? There's got to be a couple things that you're going to be, oh. you know, putting on. On, on a Facebook Marketplace or... God. I have a whole cemetery, like, in one upper cabinet that's, <laughs> uh, you know, it's a, uh, the juicer when we yep. were into, like, celery juicing because we were told my, you know, just my daughter had 
um, like some rash that wouldn't go away. Oh, yeah, we all bought uh, the Breville juicer. Like, we all have that juicer. I think it was the Breville. Yeah, it was yeah. the Breville. Which is a dope juicer, like, straight up. Oh, Love that I, do, I loved it, but not making but it. we just don't do it. No. Um, that's not making the trip. Honestly, this is probably a hot take, but I don't think the slow co- cooker is coming. No way. I don't use a slow cooker, and I know <laughs> people— I love it. I'm always. It's, I think I'm just very old school. You use the Dutch oven on the range, kind of. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. I mean, not kind of, absolutely. Yeah. But also, just this idea of something cooking all day. Like, I'm still like amazed that you can like put a piece of chicken in a marinade and then it's like getting flavorful all day. I'm like, that's a miracle. And to me, that's like as much high tech as I need. Like, for I just love that. Yeah. I don't really. I also just feel like it never comes out exactly right in the slow cooker, which is fine. Like, it's a Tuesday night dinner. Who cares if it's exactly right? But um, but I'm just, you know, I have the luxury of working from home, so I don't You need... can have it on the flame. I think that's a great point. Like, yeah. sometimes you don't have the luxury and you want to break down, like, a very muscly cut of beef. Yeah. And you need that slow cooker and, and like, Sloppy Joe's, like, shout to that. Like, works well. So, Jenny, uh, what else is not making the cut? I'm a little worried about our coffee gear because over the years we've collected a lot. My husband is very into making his own coffee. Yeah, good for him. I love that. I, I saw Andy in the elevator. He, Andy Ward is an editor mm-hmm. here at Penguin Random House and great man and, and a great <laughs> taste in beverage, apparently. <laughs> Definitely into coffee. And, you know, someone came over from—we had everyone over for Mother's Day the other day, and, and someone was like, can I get a cup of coffee? We just hadn't thought to make coffee. <laughs> and then Andy's in there grinding his beans, doing his pour-over. It's like a half an hour later he has his one cup of coffee, you know, it's just funny. Like, we, it's such an, it's such a, um, a, um, an event in our yeah. house to make a cup of coffee when we're not going out, which is also a, a ritual. But, um, but yeah, there's so much gear. I was, we, he has his grinder and he has his pour over apparatus. He has his electric kettle. Yeah. Um, there's just every day I'm like, really, we need that too. But, but you know, he's, uh, and then bags and bags. He orders from Joshua Tree Coffee out in California. No way. I don't know that one. Yeah. Interesting. I, I mean, he, like I, I mean, I don't know the exact weight, but like it, it's like a dog food size bag of coffee, oh. and he just so he's, he's a big drinker because he yeah he's, he's, he's very into he's, it. So I gotta I gotta get him hooked with yes please. That's my guy. I, I so so Joshua Tree. Are there any other coffees in your household? <sighs> that's kind of the one. Okay, that that's totally yeah. so so. Some of this gear may be pared down. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. Yeah. I mean, I I I hope to. You know, it's like when you have cabinets, you fill them, right? So, 100%. And, and you never look at it And you never anymore. look at it. So I'm really going to do a hard take on on what we're using and what it's we're It's exciting. Not. Is there any investment you're going to make in the new kitchen that you kind of don't have in your kitchen right now? This is another hot take. There's a microwave in my new kitchen yeah. that's built in, and we don't have a microwave Wait. now. Huh. <laughs> We talked about that before, did maybe we? off okay. mic or whenever. You did not have a microwave. I did not have a microwave for 17 years, and I have one in my house now. And is it – how do you feel about changes it? changes my life. Oh. I use it every single day. Okay. okay. I'm a big, like, cheese tortilla guy for snacking, okay. and there's no better way to, to – That that makes a lot of sense, but, yes. And reheating coffee. Like, for me, it's reheating coffee. That's, that's where I feel like I will um, discover how much <clears throat> I missed it maybe. I don't know. But, but there is talk about removing it. Um, we always just had a second oven instead of yeah. the microwave, and I just found yeah. that I used that just because I'm testing recipes. It just made more sense for me. I'm not saying that I'm not trying to make some blanket statement. No, no one should have microwaves, but but I'm. I know you're not, and and but the hot take here. You know what? Instant microwavable rice uh-huh. is like will save your save your life. That I can see for sure. It, it just sometimes you just don't have the time, yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's kind of good. I get it. Um, 
you love Substack. Like, it's totally your shit. You, like, you love the platform. You thrive on it. And I want to know, you've been doing it for a while, and you have a lot of readers and a lot of paid subscribers. Uh-huh. Why do you love it so much? I, I mean, I've been doing it for two and a half years, and I feel like I did when I launched my blog, um, Dinner Love Story, in 2010. I just couldn't stop working, and I, I just loved it so much. Yeah. And I just – I remember just being – just working all day until the kids came home. And then when they went to bed, I would work on it again. It just was so fun. And I mean, you'll appreciate this. I, I kind of cut my teeth in magazines. I mean, not kind of, I did. Yeah. I was in magazines for 15 years before, um, before the magazine I was working for shut down. And, um, and then I launched the website and I think I have forever been trying to get back to my magazine jobs because I loved I loved mm-hmm. working on magazines yeah. and I'm still like kind of brokenhearted over the fact that I, that I, industry I, doesn't exist. I miss I, I came up in magazines as well. Worked yeah. two magazines before going online and there's nothing like it. I mean, it, I think it really does like teach a certain rigor in terms of you know because you're putting something out there that you can't fix later. Ugh. You know, and it's so you have to be so careful and and the you know just even with recipe testing you have to just test and test and test. It's not. And and you have to have, you know, dis- remember display copy, you know, oh, just yeah. like captions and pull yeah, quotes. And, and like and cut to fit, which we do in books a lot. So working in the book world, right. it's similar. But cut to fit like with like an hour to do it before yeah. you close yeah. pages. It's the greatest feeling. I don't feeling. miss the closing feeling. <laughs> I do. But yes, I like I, that cut to fit feeling. I miss uh-huh. closes. I uh-huh. used to do closes. And it's been like 15 years since I worked in magazines, but closes were so – where were you at? I want to just – for our listeners I started at um, um, just like a a magazine that was owned by A&E Television called Biography Magazine. And they did like – basically it was like a people magazine or we wanted to be people. Dude, big biography uh fan here. I I mean in terms of like (laughs) – This was the 90s. The Uh A&E Biography Uh Network or the shows? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was huge. And so So that was fun because I was just an assistant – but it was a very small staff, so I got to do a lot. Mm-hmm. And then I went the more traditional route. I went to Real Simple. Yeah. Um, so I was like the word person in the food department, you know. Like I wasn't in the kitchen. I was just like shaping the stories. Yeah. Which Big was, ideas, packages, like which doing really, editorial yeah. heft there. So fun. And um, and then I went to Cookie Magazine, which was the yeah. parenting magazine owned by Condé Nast. And then, um, and then I just had kind of freelance gigs at like Martha Stewart and Bon Appetit. And I had a column at Bon Appetit for – uh, six years with Andy, with my husband. That's right. Um, on feeding kids. And um, I just, like, so to get back to Substack, I just, that whole idea of just, like, figuring out the mix and the pacing yeah. and the visuals, like, matching with the words and the captions and the pull quotes, I just feel like I've recreated that as much as I can on Substack, you know? So my one post every week is called Three Things, and it's just three things I'm excited it's about. It's a package. It's great. It's yeah. easy to read. It's perfect. And Yeah, and package is exactly the right word because that was sort of what I did in magazines. Like, remember, there was, like, there were the packages. It was, like, oh, yeah. the, the you know, um, I'm trying to think of one. I, I mean, you could do, like, yeah. like slow brazing um, package where you have, yeah. like, you know, three pieces of equipment on one side, and then you've got your two recipes. Exactly. That was so – and, like, you just – coming up with those ideas yeah. was always so much fun. Or just, like, traveling with kids, and then it's, like, mm-hmm. the, you know, what to pack. And then – so it's, like, multidisciplinary. You can yeah. have, like, reading, and you can have um, – 
you know, the food, the, what the snacks on the plane, you know, yeah. sorry. Um, and this is some real cookie content. I'm feeling it. Yeah. yeah. No, but the, I, that was my thing. Uh-huh. I loved those packages. And so I think I, when I'm, I kind of figured this out recently that I'm like, oh, that's what three things is. It's really just trying to figure out. It's like a mini package every week. Like yep. I, it's not strictly food. It's always like the idea is that one thing on there is going to be a little surprising to people who didn't necessarily know they wanted to know about this, but, oh, now that it's here, it's nice that it's there. It's great, and I love the way you write it, too. You write it very honestly, and you have, like, a sharp voice to it, too. Do you listen to the podcast Print is Dead, Long Live Print? No. Oh, my God. Should I? I'm going to link to it in the show notes. Yes, you should. It is... There's, like, only, like, maybe a half dozen or, no, a couple dozen episodes, but I was listening to the Dorothy Kalins episode. It's basically oh. all old magazine editors oh, talking about Kalins. the industry. Oh, my God. I would absolutely love it's, that. It's great. Yeah, so, you had, um, who did you have? Dana Brown? Oh, yeah, Dana Brown. That was so fun to listen to. But I was listening to that episode going, I... I cannot believe that magazines existed. Like I could, that world, which was so that Condé Nast lifestyle. It's so it's so hard for me to get my head around that now. It's, Dana's book is so good. It is such a must read. And he was and I, amazing. He was amazing. And then I had Delia Kai on, who's now a front of book editor at Vanity Fair, mm-hmm. 2023. It's just like a very different oh my situation. God. I can imagine. It's totally and it, you know for good or for bad. I mean, I think that the way Vanity Fair has evolved is cool to see. Yeah. Yeah. I still read airmail every week. I love Graydon Carter's. I, I didn't always love Graydon Carter, but I, I feel like he's really created something that's almost addictive. Right, right. It's, it's really good. We could shit. We could we could talk about magazines all day. <laughs> I know. Um, Literally. But let's pivot to something that's kind of related, and it's TikTok. Now, I, I know we were in the elevator, and you, you maybe TikTok isn't something that you think about that much, but... I'd like to get a sense of when you do come across TikTok, what do you what do you think about TikTok and cooking? I mean, I love it. it, it you it's, know, I should say I'm not on TikTok as much as just reels on Instagram. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm technically on TikTok, but I don't go there as often. Um, but I mean, I'm amazed. It's sort of like what blogging did back in mm. the early 2000s. Like you're like, oh, my God, there's all this talent out there, you know, and it's just it's. It, these these are not just great cooks. These are movie makers. Yeah. I mean, I can't, and they all have these signature aesthetics and vibes. And it's just it's like this perfect little package in, you know, 90 seconds. And and it's impressive. And I've tried a few. I do. I do enjoy making them. Mm-hmm. But they're a lot of work. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's kind of you kind of have to commit to it, like have a team working on it or. I mean, at least for me, maybe I'm just no, no. It's it's a real skill set, and and I guess my question or my comment about TikTok is is this is like people are learning to cook by TikTok, and it's really changing the way we in food media, you a newsletter writer and a magazine writer, us running taste, we think about instruction, and honestly. We're not writing articles about turning artichokes anymore, like the written article about how to turn an artichoke. Like right, right. you're going to go to TikTok for that or YouTube. Right. I think that's absolutely true. Um, I also just find, um, and I've been dealing with this way before TikTok, just like it's been a mission of mine to just simplify recipe recipe writing in general because it's a, it's like a tussle between you want the instructions to be as clear as possible, but also if you over-explain, suddenly your recipe is a page long, and that just the sight of that is so intimidating. And like just you know, I remember writing a recipe for a sandwich and being like, place the avocado on the toast of bread, and it's like it's 
you you don't and then it makes the recipe just look more complicated and sound more complicated than it is and so then you know it definitely tiktok has made that mission all the more clear like i need to when i'm writing recipes i'm making sure that my re- ingredient list is yep. as minimal as possible i'm making sure my instructions are as clear as possible with as few words as possible but um you know that's something i've always been working on and now you know just to your artichoke point it is really nice to be like, oh, and then, you know, you um, turn your artichoke and then you just link to the video, you exactly. know, so you don't have to write yeah. it all out. And so yeah. in that way, it's great. Yeah. It, it, I mean, net positive big time. I just think it's changing the way we think about Absolutely. writing words for the world to read about cooking. I think that's true. <laughs> I mean, I but I, I am curious to know, like, so people, this is a very naive question. Mm. Do people cook watching the video over and over? Like how when they're actually when it's actually time to cook, are they just improvising the way that or they're following the recipe that's on the Instagram caption or the TikTok caption? Like I just I don't do it, so I don't know how people are using it. So I think that you fill in the blanks with the with the video content. I think that you you start at a recipe or an idea mm-hmm. and then you fill in the blanks and then you kind of your journey to the end is your own journey. And some who are intuitive enough, many of our listeners are intuitive and many are not. But those who are intuitive can kind of figure out how the rest of it falls together. Is it making a sandwich or is it making a mayonnaise? Right. Um, I think you like cross-reference points. But I think the big picture, and I've, I've spoken with some folks here at, at, at Crown, like it's why cookbooks are so important. And so valuable, paying $30 or less to have like this big thing that you can go to whenever you want to figure out maybe what's not on that video, what's not on that article, and just like put it together. I think that's why they're everlasting and they'll always be here, these cookbooks. Yes, I am from your lips to God's ears. (laughs) I know. Well, we're in the industry (laughs) and super biased. Let's talk about your cookbooks because I feel like uh, you have written in different You've, you've written Dinner a Love Story and several in that kind of wheelhouse. And then your last book, a New York Times bestseller, The Weekday Vegetarians, huge hit. And, of course, it's it's what it says. It's mm-hmm. eating less meat, eating more plants, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And you've just finished the manuscript for your <laughs> I follow-up. I have not finished it, but oh. I'm close to finishing it. I'm supposed to be finishing it in the next two weeks. Um, I think I'll make it. But, uh, yeah, so I— it's take two on the weekday vegetarians. I love it. So yeah. what's the, yeah? What's the book and when's it coming out? I think right now the plan is for next fall, Great. fall twenty twenty four, um, and it's basically it's the same concept, which is just how to dial back meat in a very real life way. Um, you know, my, the first book was about Monday through Friday, literally not eating meat, and then on the weekend going crazy. You know, but mm-hmm. I mean, obviously that's just a that's a conceit, and you know we. We stick to that kind of five to two rule, but it's not yes. necessarily Saturdays and Sundays or whatever. Um, so I've gotten a lot of, I mean, the plant-based cooking for me was new when I wrote that book. So I just still feel like I'm learning so much every day. So, I mean, it's I basically could have written an entirely the same book, but just mm-hmm. with new recipes with that concept. And the overlay of this next book is basically how to make everything faster um, oh, cool. yeah. And just so like speed, that's smart speed and just like just shortcuts, um, because um, what I found and this I found this out through Substack when I asked my readers, mm-hmm. I said, what, what is holding you back from like cooking in a more plant based direction? Like why? What what are the big um, obstacles? And there were so many that and there were a lot of contradictory ones. Yeah. Like, for instance, 
people feeding ravenous teenagers. Oh, it's not filling enough. They're not going to like tofu, cabbage, mm-hmm. spinach, salad, whatever. Um, or it's too carby. It's, you know, mm-hmm. like there's – when you're a vegetarian, you rely too much on carbs and cheese or it's too complicated. You need sauces to make mm. things taste better. So – the new book is sort of each chapter is addressing each one I of love those that. problems. There you go. The packaging. You, you, you yeah. got it. <laughs> no, you, you're, you're a real gift at this. No, it's smart. I know. I'm, sometimes I'm like, do I have any skill in this world? <laughs> and then I think magazine packaging. Content. <laughs> Content creation. I, yeah. So each chapter uh-huh. is, is addressing an issue. I guess my, when you ask like that question, mine uh-huh. is like what people may think is like flavor. I'm missing yeah. the flavor of a braised piece, like a, a braised lamb. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And um, that that's funny. That's I mean, there's a um, there's a little section on just vegetarian umami. Yeah. Fixes. Um, there's not a whole chapter, but maybe that's a really good idea. Oh, let's just tear it up. <laughs> you know, let's just let's just write a new chapter in two weeks. Now I can do that in a day. I feel like you can. You're, um, you're actually joking, but I think you probably can. No, but I, I think like flavor is something that I think about. But also, all those other points are super super like, smart. Yeah. Like I think of the carb thing too. Like yeah. when I've gone plant based, I've kind of relied on like you know legumes. Yeah, and legumes are amazing. Like shout uh-huh. out to Steve Sando. Like come on, like, I know great it's... industry, but man, that's a lot of carbs. I know it is, and also. I mean, my so the the answer to that question is a section on soup and salad, which mm. sounds like very you know like Obampan like nineties, <laughs> but it's uh, yes. really the way to do it. Like, I mean, I'm t- I had the most perfect dinner the other night. It was, it's a recipe from the new book. Um, it's like a avocado. It's a chill. It was a chilled avocado cucumber soup with miso and mm. jalapeno and stuff. And um. Um, which is just kind of a twist on one that I've done for a long time, um, just without chicken broth. And I was using, um, the miso kind of, to your point, like kind of compensates for that, for that, like kind of roasted bone flavor, like yeah. the brothy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was my soup. And then I made not a salad, but, a I just roasted some vegetables, um, and um, with just like a, like a yogurt sauce or something, I like drizzled some sauce on it. And it was just like the. The roasted vegetables like feel kind of meaty because yeah. and they're drenched in oil, so like you get that yeah. f- like kind of fatty um, satisfaction, like indulgent feeling. And then this avocado and the soup, and it was you know there's like no carbs there, and so and I was absolutely satisfied. So that whole chapter is mm-hmm. the goal of that chapter is to kind of to to come up with combinations that will. Achieve, have that effect. Yeah, it sounds it sounds really practical. Uh-huh. This new book that's going to be rewritten in the next two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be running it by you. Oh my gosh! No, it, it's great. Uh-huh. I loved your other uh-huh. first book. Uh-huh. Okay, spring is edging into summer. What are you thinking right now? Like, what are you most excited to cook with? I, I, you're always thinking about cooking and food, and yeah. it's it's obvious in the pages of your newsletter. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I know I've written so many books and I've probably published like thousands of recipes, but like, just like everyone, there are the certain things that I come back to over and over. And there are certain dishes that I think of as like my spring and warm weather dishes, like, you know, um, like spaghetti with clams or, um, um, like just if we, we do this like fried fish sandwich, just pan fried fish with slaw, but it's just for some reason I think of it as like a warm weather thing. Yeah. I don't know why. So just eating those outside on the patio. Yeah, you're thinking of like Florida or South Carolina or like even L.A. You know, yeah. thinking about eating outside with fried fish like yeah. that. Yeah, and just like the most simple grilled, you know, dinner. Just like last night we just did a grilled chicken. Um, 
with uh, with what do we have with just like a big salad mm. and um, like an avocado basil. Do dressing. you have outdoor space uh-huh. to grill in your new spot? <laughs> no. Oh yeah, that's a big worry. When I when we talk about downsizing equipment, the Weber is definitely in that category. Oh yeah, which is going to be hard. I actually that's a big. I mean, you know, everyone should have my problems, but that's going to be no. that's going to be hard. It's it's <laughs> it's the, the trade offs though. You have you have. Yeah. Uh, Barney Greengrass down the corner, down the street. <laughs> I'll tell uh, the griller in the house Got, that. Let's yeah, see Barney, how it works. <laughs> Barney over grilling any day for me. Um, well, those are great ideas. I, I like I like what you're saying. I think like definitely like seafood pasta. I think about with summer as well. I know that yeah. clearly people eat seafood pasta year round, but yeah. What's your What's your pasta of choice? Is it Is it spaghetti or like, do you have a shape that you love? Yeah, I'm a long noodle girl. Yeah, um, and I'm married to kind of a short. Um, a short noodle guy or yeah. a short tubular. He's more of a tube guy. <laughs> guy. Yeah, he likes pennies, and um, I'm a. I just, I love fettuccine, and I actually like angel hair. I know it gets hated on like everywhere, but I love. Except for the pages of taste. Oh really? We, we have a great angel hair piece. Long live angel hair. Yeah. Okay. Can you please put that in the show notes so that I, I will. can read it? Okay. I will put that in there. Um, I can't remember who wrote it. Maybe Priya. I can't. Mm-hmm. Somebody wrote it. It was great. Uh-huh. Um, let's talk about cookbooks, though. You are on the cookbook beat. You've written for the New York Times. You've written these large roundups over the years. So you get sent all the cookbooks. Obviously, you are published here at Penguin Random House, but I'd like to just get your take on any cookbooks that are, are piquing your fancy right now. <sighs> Um, right now, I've been cooking largely from um, Andrea Nguyen's uh, Evergreen Vietnamese. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, all the cookbooks that I'm cooking from kind of follow the same theme, which is plant forward. There's definitely meat in um, in this book, but it's about how I love just the conceit of it because she's she was she's I mean I love her I've loved all of her cookbooks, mm-hmm. um, but she kind of writes about um, how she she was eating everything kind of and not just in the interest of her profession you know like yeah. she and she was just kind of not being mindful about it. And she just finally hit some breaking point where she was like, I want to focus more on plants and just, you know, just kind of like where a lot of people are, but it's harder when you're a professional and you're, you know, you have to generate a certain amount of certain kinds of recipes that people know you for. And so she just pivoted and made this, you know, there's, there's a, there are fish recipes, there's a couple chickens, but it's almost entirely plant driven. And, um, and it's uh, it's been it's been fun to just yeah. Go. It's a beautiful book. I, I've not cooked for me yet, but Andrea's has been a guest on the show a couple of times. Yeah, big she's fan of her work. So nice too. Oh um, yeah, and, and like so nice and generous, and also her book on tofu mm-hmm. is one of my favorite cookbooks ever. Yeah, no, she does those like, and she also had a book just all on banh mi that yeah. I um, that I just refer to all the time, and. Um, yeah, I mean, she, there's a tofu mushroom curry in this latest book that is on repeat. It's kind of one of those recipes that I'm like, I have to not make it this week because I'm gonna. It's really yeah. in danger of, yeah. of um, you know, I'm gonna. It's gonna outwear its welcome. Burn, burn it out a yeah. little bit. Yeah, I've burned out some <laughs> recipes in the past. A good story idea, actually. I know the burnout. Like, when have you burned out a recipe? Like, we're ripping right now. <laughs> we wrote. I wrote a story for Cup of Joe, the the website, yeah. the the lifestyle website, um, run by Joanna Goddard and. 
we wrote a story called like nine dinners we've loved to death and it, we interviewed yeah. all these people about like the meal that we're like we can make one more time yep. but with the idea that like one person's trash is another person's treasure it was so funny and we had we had so much fun with it it's and so everyone interesting has to one. know what people <laughs> habitually cook yeah because sometimes like we would be wow I would never actually attempt that but like when someone says I've done it eight times yeah no it is funny what, what ends up settling I mean we're, I'm trying new things all the time yeah. and I'm always so amazed at the things that stick and that I'm making mm-hmm. like a year later or like because, you know, I get a ton of cookbooks and then every now and then I have to kind of weed them out and feel like, okay, which ones are going to go to Goodwill and yeah. which ones are staying. And any re- any cookbook that we're – even if there's just one recipe that I make over and over, it, it earns its keep. So, you know. Wait. Stop yeah. it. Like let's let, – <laughs> these books – do you have space for all your cookbook collection? In the new yeah. Um, yes, believe it or not, we do. Okay, so, good. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the rest of the books in the house, I'm not so sure. But, <laughs> but cookbooks are going to take precedent in your, in your yeah, library. Okay, yeah. good, good, good. I'm making sure. Because, like, I feel like you must have a great collection. Is there a one or two other just quickly books that you just are loving right now, like, top of your head? Um loving right now. I mean, I'm very much looking forward to the Hetty McKinnon book that's coming out in a couple of weeks called Tenderheart. Heart. It's beautiful. Okay. I just got it today. Oh, it's okay. on my desk right now. It's it's massive. Oh, it's is it? huge okay. and yeah. in the best possible way. I just, I love to Asia with love. And that, mm-hmm. I was kind of new to Hetty with that. So yep. I didn't. Me too. I didn't know about her long history with, you know, her salad business and um, her podcast. And so I just kind of fell in love with her, you know, a year and a half ago. And so now I'm just like salivating, waiting for the next one. Yeah, but, it's, um. it's, it's, it's just very personal. And I just love the way it shot Knopf did it. It's a beautiful book. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Now, can we switch over to the fiction side? I, I, I know you're a big fiction head, and I just want to always get a sense of what you're reading on the fiction side. Right now, I actually just started last night the new Abraham Verghese book, which mm. is just like 9,000 pages. Yeah. So it's always hard to um, – it's very hard to start those books. I'm literally like 17 pages into yeah. it. So, But, but I mean, I don't know if you read Cutting for Stone, but it very much has that lyrical epic yeah. feel already. So I know I'm going to like it. Um, like the rest of the world, I loved Demon Copperhead. Yeah. I think that's the best book I've read in years. I mean, I just couldn't get over the writing and um the world building oh my god and like just the voice you know he starts as an 11 year old and you're mm-hmm. like, how is she capturing his voice as an 11 year old and then you know years later you're like wait he's 18 now and now he sounds like an 18 year old like just how hard and you don't even really notice when it switches time like that yeah it's beautiful i mean Lyrical. amazing and she she just won the Pulitzer for yeah it. so she did so year. yeah so well deserved obviously um there's a book coming out that's on my nightstand called um, Everything's Fine mm-hmm. by Cecilia Rabbis. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard great things about that. Curtis Sittenfeld tweeted about it like a, six months ago and was like, everybody better read this book. Yeah. And so it's been on my nightstand. Uh, if Curtis likes it, then I'm Yeah, Curtis. I, I hope to have Curtis on the show. We've, we've been talking about booking yeah. that in a, yeah. for a while. Um, I'll shout out. Greek Lessons by Hong Kong. I've, I've been working through that. Uh, it's very short and it's just intense. Um, I love her work. And I Quietly Hostile by Sam Irby, collection of essays. That is definitely on the to-read list. I've heard amazing things about it. It's it's just it, it, absolute wheelhouse for, for all, uh, many of us and just a great escape. Yeah. And then I finally finished Central Places by Delia Kai, a former guest. I, I I stopped reading it after our interview and I was like three quarters of the way through. What a great book. I, what I a great read debut. It. Uh-huh. I should I should pick it up. Yeah. Um, are you mostly a fiction reader or a nonfiction or kind of everything? 
for the show I prep for, uh, I read everything because we mm-hmm. have many guests on here who write fiction. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, you know, when you're writing a book, it can be very taxing, mm-hmm. you know, to like get into like the fiction zone. Yeah. And I've just finished our deadline for Korea World. So oh, wow. I'm looking Congrats. this summer is, yeah, uh-huh. I'm looking for this summer to be a very fiction heavy. Right. So great picks there. I appreciate yeah. that. Um, let me ask you a little bit just to close. I think we asked this previously. But I think our listeners know what I'm going to ask. <laughs> we all saw guests on Taste Podcast. If you could read a cookbook or food culture book without the burden of budget, meaning you have all the money in the world, or the burden of time, meaning you have no deadline. We've talked about deadlines. Right. It all goes out the door. Jenny. What is it? I think um, I've been thinking a lot about this. Um, can I, I, in addition to having as much time and money, can I also have... Um, like a time machine. Superpowers are, are okay. part, of the, part of the deal. I appreciate okay, that you asked that too. I never um, knew any of my grandparents. Um, they all died before I was born, and which is not something I really thought about too much until I had my own kids and I saw how special that relationship was between my mm-hmm. parents and my kids. And um, and there's just so many things I don't know about them, mm-hmm. especially – and my mom's side of the family is all Italian. My dad's side of the family, Jew, Jews from the Bronx. And the food his, the food cultures, like from both I, – I mean my mom's dad was a butcher. Mm-hmm. Food was a huge part of their lives. I just feel like I want to sit at their dinner tables. I want to hear their stories. I want them to talk about their lives. Um and I just, I mean, and there's no better way to do that than food. I'm not sure what the recipe component is. No, it doesn't have to be recipes. <laughs> but but certainly, you know, my dad's favorite sandwich growing up in the Bronx was like a chicken schmaltz sandwich. So, you know, that would have to be in there. But, um, and his father oh, so good. was a great, he loved bread. And he would like, my father has such a distinct memory of him always coming um, home with like a beautiful loaf of bread. Mm. And that's how I think of my dad too. And he would be coming home. He always came home with like a hollow or a yeah. baguette. And- From like the local bakery yeah Yeah. or yeah he i mean he's he he used to work in the city and live in the suburbs and he would get off he would either pick one up at um grand central and just walk home with it and there's always like a piece missing because he would have to eat especially if it's Um, warm yeah or there's a local bakery um in our town that he would stop oh so i feel like jewish italian though that merging of culture Uh and with like the framing around new york yes wow yeah right wouldn't that be good what a great we could call it pizza bagels do it oh Uh my god please jenny (laughs) you're packaging into the very end class question jenny rosenstrock thank you so much for joining the taste podcast oh it's always so nice to be here thank you Hey, Matt. How's it going? It's good. How are you, Eliza? I'm good. I want to hear about your trip to Chicago. Where'd you go? I was in Chicago for the James Year Awards. It was great. I always enjoy seeing all my friends there. So hello to all those who said hello. Um, I went to places that were nominated. I went to some places on the south side. Let me start with Kasama. Have you heard about this place? Yes. I um, have like a a bruise in my heart about this because I tried to go when I was in Chicago last summer and they had just gotten a big write-up. I believe they were at one of Eater's Best New Restaurants right yeah. around the time that I went and the line was just down the block every time and so I didn't make it in. So I'm really curious about how it was. It was as advertised, I must say. We had a little event there in their backyard so while many folks were lined up on a Saturday afternoon, I was able to like sneak through and go to the backyard just a wonderful story. They won the big James Beard Award 
this uh, this past year, a couple of days ago. And uh, Jenny Kwan and Timothy Flores, the owners, are just co- the coolest couple. They are passionate about Filipino cuisine and kind of redefining in their in their eyes um, how the cuisine is represented in the United States. So that's like the big picture of this restaurant. The small picture is, holy shit, their pastry counter is amazing. That's truly the greatest thing that, they're, that they have going for them. That's why I wanted to go because I just love baked goods so much. And I remember, oh, I can't remember which one I saw, but everything looked beautiful. What was your favorite pastry that you had? It was hard. I, I had a blueberry cake that they call muffin top that was using, I think blueberries aren't quite in season, but really delicious tart. Uh, blueberries. Um, I had a croissant with ube and coconut. Um, I had a croissant with foie gras on it, which ultimately, what's like the long, like, it's kind of like a long john, which is like my Midwestern way of describing a elongated donut, but it's more of a croissant. Oh, Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, it's laminated like a croissant? Yeah, it's a laminated dough, but it was like a stick, basically. Oh, I, I don't know. I'm thinking about a bear claw, but that's not right. It's that's kind something of, else. Yeah, that's, it's like a, it was like a croissant stick, a laminated stick, but it was covered, it, it was like smeared with foie gras and and fruit, I think stone fruit. Um, That was good. Uh, We had uh their famous legendary breakfast sandwich, which I thought was really neat. They were doing a langanista egg and cheese sandwich but the egg was really like custardy and and kind of probably done in water like sous vide style Mm. so yeah this restaurant we have a lot of restaurants to talk about i could really go all day but it was really fantastic place okay now i need to go back to chicago and just brave the line definitely it's worth it and and i think they do take reservations for a tasting menu as well so they do an evening service as well but i think they do kind of both now i wanted to also ask you 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 went to college at northwestern so you know chicago well but you've recently been there yourself so this is our chicago this is our chicago segment let's talk about your own favorite restaurants that you've seen maybe one or two of them well first i just have to clarify that northwestern is in evanston which yeah. is the chicago suburbs so right. i'm not trying to rap too hard but i do love chicago i love visiting in the summer especially um so when i was there last summer for a pitchfork. I did not make it to Kasama, but I did go to Middlebrow, which had been on my list for a while. Did Never you heard go of there? it. No. What is it? They're in Logan Square. They're a brewery slash uh, really good sourdough pizza and bread spot. Okay. So big on carbs in all different forms. Yeah. They have really nice outside seating, especially when it's great outside. And I really liked their pizza. It's really chewy and delicious. And also they're making their own beer and also some wine as well. Nice. So I think it's cool Craft to go brewery. somewhere that's just like committing to making all of these things themselves in that kind of yeah. way. I love that. I went to the Foxtrot in Logan Square as well. It's a, it's a, it's a kind of like a upscale bodega mm-hmm. grocery store that uses does a lot of the consumer brands that we we talk about on the show. Um, what's another place that comes to mind for you? Well, I always take guests to Wiener Circle. Have yeah. you been there before? Of course, yeah, definitely. I always take it's guests great. and don't tell them the shtick, which is that you're going to be uh, harassed by the people that work there, yeah. right? That's the deal is that they are kind of benevolently heckling you, especially if you go late at night. It's a little bit less benevolent and just more straight up heckling. Yeah, but I love that. I think the hot dogs are good. It's fun to get a hot dog in Chicago, but really like just that whole dining experience feels really specific to Chicago in Completely. a fun way. Yeah, I love that. I love going Going there late at night. The Chicago dog is is pretty close to the the Coney. I mean, they're they're very similar to me, like what I like in my rankings. Yeah, except for um, I was in Coney Island last weekend and I put a little ketchup on my hot dog, and I would oh. never do that in Chicago. Yeah, the Coney uh, in, in both Detroit and Coney Island, you 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 throw a little ketchup on, it's fine. But yeah, Chicago is a mustard town. 
Where did you go on the south side? Uh, I went on the south side to a couple places. Um, Berea Zaragoza in Archer Heights. Place is fucking amazing. Like, I had not had goat in a while, and their goperia is, like, honestly so um, done with uh, a lot of care. And just goat is tricky at times. It can be tough. It can be gamey. But everything was 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 working there that day. They had this hot salsa that came to the table, bubbling. It was like a chili arbol salsa. Wow, really good. Um, so that was that was a nice one. Of course, the tortillas were made to order um, right on the flat top, and mm. just a great spot. And got to shout out my friend Titus at Shy BBQ. He took me around. On this tour, I, I love what he does. We joke he's like the last food blogger on earth. <laughs> he's like the like, he's on like literally on a blogger page. And he blogs about food. And, I love that. And does it for the pure love of food. No money. It's amazing. Yeah. And it's fun to have someone to take you around like that who really like knows the area and has their top faves. Completely. And the other place we went to, um, we went to Vito and Nick's in Parkview. Have you, did you ever make it down to that? No, I. but it's been on my list. How was it? So it's really um, one of the two legendary tavern style pizza places in Chicago. The other one is Pat's in Lakeview. And they both are considered real legends in that they are doing this very thin tavern style pie with the order to go. The, the go-to order there is is sausage and um, jardinere. Mm-hmm. It's like the the shit. Like like peppers in like acid or pickled peppers and sausage on a thin crispy crust. Oh, so perfect. I love that. Um, I have to say, whenever I go to Chicago, I get frozen custard. That's one of my things that I fell in love with when I moved to the Midwest. Oh, yeah. Because I've never had it before. Frozen custard's good. It's so good. I feel like Andy's is the chain by Northwestern that I would go to. But Lickety Split, which is on the north side, is a really good frozen custard place. If there's a Cops, which is also a chain in the Midwest, I'll be there in a heartbeat. We had Cops in college. I went to Wisconsin, so we had some Cops by us. That was good. Yeah, it's so um, satisfying and filling, and it, I would have it for for lunch sometimes, to be honest, with fruit on top, you know? Yeah, it didn't make it feel a little light. I had a couple other spots I hit up. I hit up another pizza place called John's in Humble Park, which had been operating since the 20s, like kind of without a pause, and it looked like it. It was really <laughs> interesting interior, um, meaning it's from like a movie from 1950. Five lovely uh, service and pizza was pretty good. Um, wasn't my favorite pizza in Chicago, but I, I really liked it. Um, and the other place I finally went to, which has been always on my list, known for their Halloween costume, they basically turned their restaurant into another restaurant, is Lula Cafe. I love Lula Cafe. Figured you'd been there. Yeah, I've I went for brunch and had cornbread French toast, which just changed my entire life probably because I had never thought about that as a concept. Right. It was just so good. It's really really good. The chef owner Jason Hamill uh, is has a cookbook coming out in the fall, and I think he might he might swing by the podcast at some point. We've been chatting with his PR, but yeah, I had two things that really stand out. I had this incredible whitefish dip. Mm. which it was whipped perfectly. It's kind of thing at brunch that if executed poorly would kind of not be great. It would feel a little like, why are we having whitefish tip at 1 p.m.? But he executed it or they executed perfectly. And then this carrot cake with edible flowers. Beautiful presentation. Not too sweet. Really nice pastry place there. Packed. I love that. And I feel like I went maybe... 
nine years ago for the first time, a while ago, and it's still just as popular. And I think the food that they're doing is really exciting and fun in that same way. So it's cool to see a restaurant that can kind of be a cornerstone of the neighborhood like long term. And and it seems like it's a beloved restaurant in the neighborhood and it's a real neighborhood place. And Absolutely. It's like if I lived in Chicago, I would go there all the time. Me too. Yeah. And the staff was great too. I, I, I really like it, Lula Cafe. I, wanna, I definitely want to go back. Too short a trip, though. Man, I wish I could go to more. Oh, and, and Garrett's popcorn in the in the airport, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Garrett's popcorn is like the nuts for nuts of yeah. uh, Chicago. It is. It's a popcorn town. It's really quite funny. Thanks a lot for chatting Chicago. Oh, anytime. This is Taste is hosted by Eliza Abarbanel and me, Matt Rodbar. The show is produced by Shalia Harris and Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all cool things that are happening.